Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everybody? Ben Cruz here, the head of content at Vover, and I'm here to tell you about my show over on Vover, One and Done. The concept of One and Done is very simple. One guest, one question, one answer. That's it. We're looking to bring you the best guests and the best questions on every show, which will lead to the best answers. Some of my most recent guests include the creator of HBO's Entourage, Doug Ellen, one of the stars from HBO's Insecure, the always hilarious Yvonne Orji, and the Twitter legend himself, Josiah Johnson, a.k.a. King Josiah, and much more. The show leans into our short-form format. Most shows are about 15 minutes, so if you don't have a full hour or two but want that quick podcast fix, check out One and Done with us over at Vover on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? It's Justin from Fight Game Media, WrestlingObserver.com, F4WOnline.com. Today's episode of Write That Down is mainly focused on Dynamite Kid, but earlier on in the show we took a couple questions, and the first question we talked about was covering Noah. Pro Wrestling Noah, which you covered a couple weeks ago. So check that out. Um, let's just get right into the show. So first question today comes from J.D. Oliva from Fight Game Media, as you know. Mm-hmm. And he's asking, he wanted to get your opinion for me about uh, Pro Wrestling Noah as a group. What do you think, what are your thoughts on their uh, search in the late 2000s for a, a new uh, like face star a new face of the company it seems as though they've kind of struggled to get that number one guy to be in front of the company and lead the company uh, out of wherever they were late 2000 yeah yeah uh, probably because yeah 2009 you know the, the unfortunate this is real tragedy that you know the king misawa mitsuharu misawa died in the rain right and Kobashi got cancer and he made comeback, but it was never the same. So he was like a running his like a very rust, you know, very last run. And Taue is older than you know either of them, and uh, he was about to retire. And yeah, uh Akiyama actually was he should be the guy, but uh, by going through this top four, you know. You see, basically, Jun Akiyama replaced 
Toshiaki Kawada in that cluster, right? Mm-hmm. So they still have four top guys. But uh, at the end of 2000, Jun Akiyama was just as beat up, huh? Seems Physically. so, because he, yeah. he, he wasn't, um, you know, he was wrestling, he was active, he was having big matches, and his body wasn't uh, getting any younger. Oh, no. And then plus, it, he was always like a plus one, you know, when, when we talk about big four. In right. America, it's a four pillars of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. You know, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, and, and, and Taue. But he's always been the plus one, like a fifth guy. I mean, just as talented. And uh, it was not in one of those, you know, four, uh, four pillars of heaven, four top guy, four big one. But uh, he was just as important every bit. And uh, at the same time, he was just as beat. And uh, at the end of 2000, yes, Noah needed um, a new superstar. And uh, it was not like creating another four. You need one breakout superstar, huh? It seemed you know, that way, especially. Yeah. Because there was a big shadow cast by Misawa. Mm. Oh, yeah. And Kobashi was a huge superstar himself, too. Sure. You know, yeah, basically both guys are out of the, you know, out of the picture. And uh, next, right after them, you know, the, those four, there are two huge, two big, super talented guys in Marufuji and Kenta. But both guys were, you know, junior heavyweight size huh it was a change of uh, both look and style wrestling style when it came down to that yes so talented though but uh, two smaller guys physically and traditionally pro wrestling in Noah is like a spin-off of all japan style huh Mm -hmm. giant baba wrestling is big man sport traditionally you know, Giant Baba, the Jumbo Tsura, the, you know, Dory Funk, the Terry Funk, the uh, Bruiser Brody, the Stan Hansen, the le- little bit later on, uh, Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, you know, they're all big, all Vader too, big guys, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was not, it's not entirely their fault, but when you see Marufuji against Kenta, single match, GHC, heavyweight, well, heavyweight, yeah. Uh, global honored crown title match at Budokan. It looked like two, gem- two junior heavyweight guys are taking on main event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they tried with yeah, a couple other guys, you know, like a Ricky O, you mm-hmm. know, or late Bison Smith was candidate, I think, you know, but uh, you had to wait until Go Shiozaki, but it was too big of a too too heavy, you know, uh, that uh, you know that uh, on on his you know one shoulder, you know, and I, I guess they are still you know struggling struggling in the same theme to this day. Who would be the new Noah superstar? You know what I'm saying? Still yet to be decided. It seems like yeah, it seems that way because you know that uh, that uh, Kiyomiya. Uh, is another candidate, but he didn't start till what four years ago. <laughs> you know, he's still really young, and he's and he's really. <clears throat> if you're talking about size, he's not what uh, old Japan or or older. He's tall. Noah. He's tall. So put on some weight and become a real heavyweight. He might, you know, he he might have it. A real good, you know, like a real talented guys like Ken Law and you know 
Katsuhiko Nakajima, and they all happen to be your junior heavyweight size. That's right. Yeah. So that's the, that's the same struggle that you know that the facing today. Yeah. I think that's and, more of a trend around the entire world of wrestling. I think if you look at all the top smaller stars, guys that can do know, incredible WWE. things. Yeah, like Seth yeah. Rollins is big, but he's not that big. Two hundred ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels size. Smaller, lighter. Yeah, on the smaller side, I guess of what we could uh, think of. But I guess yeah, in and general, then, uh, in in the late nineties, they were saying like they are they are too small to be to headline, huh? Right. Yeah. They yeah. were saying that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. AJ Styles or somebody that you know. Oh they, yeah, yeah. That, that that could be considered junior heavyweight even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, I mean, so, I guess that's a world trend too. Yes, that too. And the smaller guys can do incredible things. I mean, physically smaller guys. I mean, mm-hmm. so so gifted as an athlete, you know. So yeah, like you said, it, it might be the trend in the entire world. Yeah. And I I think it's going to be hard to find. Uh, a, a face for the future of the company when you have somebody like Keiji Muto or even yeah like yeah like a young Keiji Muto kind of thing. yeah that yeah. is another reason nor of all guys signed Keiji Muto you know and then Keiji Muto choose pro wrestling nor to be his the place for his you know very last run huh but what I think it would be hard for Noah would be if you want a new face, a new guy, it's going to be hard to create that new guy if the old guy is still there. Well, you can beat them one by one. You know, that's what WWE would do. Well, I guess we'll have to see what happens because we'll see what their direction is going into 2022. There's, it seems like a very different company than two years ago for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, the reality is, though, that the, you, you cannot wait for this new you know, superstar to, you know, come up. That uh, at the same time, you have to draw as a business. That's why Pro Wrestling Noah has Keiji Muto. You have your, you know, Kazushi Sakuraba, the, you know, Masakatsu Funaki, the, the, the Fuji, you know, Kazuyuki Fujita, the Kendo Kashin, the superstar from yesteryears a little bit, you know. But they are in reality, more famous than today's guys, huh? Seems that way. Yeah, yeah. So the good mixture of talent is always good, but uh, just depends on how you do it, you know? Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do uh, in the future because it's kind of um, uh, it's new territory. Yeah, and also since last time you and I talked on this podcast, that the, the, the lineup, that the card lineup of January 1st Budokan show for Noah has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now Kenta joined, you know, as a getting like a special superstar appearance that that Kenta and Maruhuji making a tag team and going up against Sugiura and Yoshinari Ogawa, special tag team. And uh, the title match scene, and then you can look it up, right? That uh, they, they changed change card a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why yeah. was that? Was there any reason or? Well, the Kenta joined and also there's like, uh, you need to spice up a little bit because they're struggling. Uh, January 1st, I think is the hardest day to draw any anything, you know, that it's the biggest holiday in Japan and you're supposed to stay home that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, January 1st. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. And also, wrestling fans also have certain budget you have, you know, January 4th and 5th, two Tokyo Dome cards. And three days later, New Japan has another Yokohama arena 
And if you're all Japan fan, January, uh, January 2nd and 3rd, you have Korakuen Hall. And if you're a Pro Wrestling Noah fan, while January 4th, New Japan Tokyo Dome show is taking place, Noah is running Korakuen show right next door. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a lot they have to compete with. Yeah, and then also like a 28th, 29th of December and like a traditional year and you know the all the independent group get together and run card on 31st new year's eve into new year's day and that's also tradition and uh yeah like a 28th 29th also pro wrestling uh that the stardom has their big show at the sumo palace on december 29th you know that's right and they were announced this week or last week that uh they'll have a match uh, or like an offer match at the Tokyo Dome for, with New Japan this year too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, actually like a dark match, but that's uh, important to showcase, uh, you know, featured stardom talent for men's audience. Yeah, because yeah. some guys only watch, you know, men wrestling, you know, still to this day, you know. And uh, stardom has owned, the, you know, all fan base that is really strong, but uh, it's always good to showcase and, uh, you know, have a match right in front of the Tokyo Dome audience. So they might become stardom fans that day. Yeah. yeah it should. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So like a 28th, 29th, 30th, 31st, all the way to like this uh, January 8th, you have wrestling pretty much every day somewhere. You know, oh, that's not new, but uh, how, how much money can you spend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, because... Oh, you know, Tokyo Dome show, you know, if you want to, you know, get a good ticket, you know, you might have to be spending $200 on you know, on one show, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I wanted to ask what's with both the, the Noah show at Budokan and the Tokyo Dome shows this year, what's the, um, what are the rules with, uh, you know, sitting apart or capacity within the venue? Uh, I think start still, uh, like we always talk about, this, wrestling is not completely independent from what's happening in the real world. Right now, they are trying to put the you know folk you know the seat that uh, no social distance this time. But you never know, you know this Omicron variant, and you know that the infected people might you know ex- you know go up high in numbers. In, coming you know coming week and uh yeah you, you don't know but they are trying to put regular seating for those january shows that's a plan but you still have to wear mask mask is mandatory and you cannot stand up or run around or you know run into the ramp and high-fiving people and all these things you know you sit and seat wear a mask and no loud you know loud cheering you just sit there and clap <laughs> yeah but japanese people are so orderly right so it adds a different uh feeling to some of the shows huh some of the noah yeah, shows sound different sound yeah pretty quiet yeah. yeah 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 so yeah. so like it's a, like that a, to answer the original question i think it's more you know less of a question more of a just yeah uh what what's so what what would be the healthier thing is like a uh Pro Wrestling Noah can run regular Budokan show, like four or five Budokan shows a year, like what 90s Old Japan was doing. And the main event would be like, you know, Kiyomiya against Go Shiozaki 
and that will pack the house. That's a good one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just people are not, I doesn't seem to be ready for that, you know, like a, like a, like an entire new generation taking over the main event spot, you know. But I'm hoping like a title match, like a GHC national heavy, you know, national heavyweight title match, like champion Ken Wo against Masakatsu Funaki and Ken Wo beat somebody like, you know, Funaki, who was the original creator, original founder of Pancras. Then if Ken Wo can beat Funaki in the middle of the ring, that will signify the, the, the end of an era and the beginning of new era. I mean, it has to be something symbolic. Does that make sense? It has to be symbolic. It doesn't matter exactly where the title is per se. Right, it's right. To be from the right person. Well, yeah, or 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 Kiyomiya beating Keiji Muto clean in the middle of the ring or something. Something like that. But what's the? Uh, isn't the story still going between Muto and Go Shizaki? Yeah, that too. Yeah, um, that means they're still, you know kind of testing water that the, if Shiozaki is the guy or that you should go go ahead with Kiyomiya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that means neither guys are definitely the guy. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's a, it's a real hard thing, you know, to choose who will be your next champion guy. And people have to believe in it. And, and it's what, hard right now. yeah, because what WWE did was like they do this thing real well. See, the Shield, Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, and then Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley. You know, those were the trio, right? Unit. Then they brought, you know, they brought, you know, they broke those guys into single competitor, and they were able to make Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns separately very strong single superstar. Mm-hmm. They were able to do so, and why couldn't Japanese company do that? You know. All right. Before we get to the next segment on the show, I have an ask for you, the listener. Well, okay, two asks. All right. If you are listening to us for the first time, this is the first time you're listening to write that down. Think about subscribing. Okay. Think about hitting that subscribe button. You can always unsubscribe in the future, but by subscribing, you're gonna get multiple shows uploaded directly. To your app weekly and we think you like what we have to offer secondly if you are listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify please give us five star rating it's very simple to do and it's so beneficial for us as we attempt uh, to you know climb through the podcast rankings through the algorithms in order to grow within the podcast ecosystem it is much appreciated guys Thank you. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, I think 2022 will be a big year for Noah, for sure. Yeah, or what, what New Japan did with Kazuchika Okada. Okada, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm interested to see where he plays into uh, this pro wrestling Noah, New Japan pro wrestling feud. Yeah. Sure we'll see and, him but, involved. Uh, New Japan has to worry about New Japan storyline, no? And the first night of at the first night at uh, the, the Tokyo Dome, January fourth, uh, Shingo Takagi against against Kazuchi, you know Kazuchika Okada, old IWGP belt against new IWGP belt, huh? Mm-hmm. And that 
well, the, the legit champion, legitimate, you know, recognized champion is Shingo Takagi, but uh, Okada is claiming that the G1 champion should be the you know, rightfully champion, and he brought the old belt back, and uh, that will unify two belts. And very next day, the uh, the, the third holder of the, the current championship belt, uh, you know, Will Will Osprey will be facing the winner. So three IWGP championship belt will be unified at the end of the night. That's very interesting, right? And to be clear, Will Ospreay will be at the Tokyo Dome despite uh, the recent um, kind of, what are they, the restrictions or visa restrictions? Yeah, I think so. Japan yeah. Is. Yeah. I think Ospreay was kind of grandfathered in because he had a, a pre-existing visa. Yeah. So he'll be there. There won't be. Yeah, I believe that. so. I believe so. Yeah. Surprises there. So, yeah. Yeah, what, what's, what's your take on that? On the three titles, it gets a little confusing after a while because <laughs> I forget who, which one is the real one and which one isn't. But uh, the, like the, the recognized ta- world champion is Shingo Takagi. Takagi is the real one. Oh, yeah, I'm interested to see. Well, Yeah, but uh, uh, Will Ospreay is also IWGP champion that, who never lost. Mm-hmm. My question about all of this is where does Kota Ibushi fill in in all of this? Is he coming back around this time? Is he no, 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 no. He, he, he should stay out a little bit longer because he would be the number one contender when he comes back. So we can't expect, you don't think we can expect him at the end of the month uh, in January? You don't expect, uh, it? I think January. you gotta have new champion and then establish him, you know. It's a, you know, it's a good chance, you know, it's his, you know, Ibushi's opportunity to stay out and get, you know, you know, get physically, you know, back to his, you know, yeah, good conditioning and come back like in April even. We'll see. Oh, also, I mean, on the topic of New Japan, it was just now, it's just a few hours ago that Katsuyori Shibata will be back yeah. in some form at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, shows. regular match. Regular we, match, not just a yeah. grappling match. Nope, uh, tights and shoes this time. But we that, don't have any more details yet on uh, who oh, opponent. Be. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, it will not be your shorts and tennis shoes. You know, he will be wearing full wrestling gear and making comeback January fourth. Yeah, right, he came out. Exciting. He came out. Yeah, he came out and announced it with suit and tie yesterday. And his speech was real short. Mm-hmm. January 4th, I will have a match. That's it. Then he left. <laughs> Just like, I mean, it's very Shibata, you know? Mm. Yeah. And uh, it was enough that the, that the people were excited. Yeah. And also, opponent is not almost, almost not that important. Shibata making comeback as a, as a not the exhibition matches, but I mean, regular tights and shoes, the full wrestling gear, and having him in a real match, that's big enough. After what, four years, five years? Is that that long? Ah, oh. 2017. Wow, four years. Four Going years. Five years. Oh, wow. Wow. I did not realize that was that long. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? It's crazy. He's been out yeah. for a while. He's been out for quite a while. Right. But the, what he has gone through, you know, yeah, brain surgery and whole thing. Yeah. And, and I'm sure he's the way produced he, out in LA. And when he went to LA to become coach, he was pretty sure that he was done. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but uh, after you know four years that uh, was, was his own workout and uh, mentally being ready and it's like he, he felt that he can do it again yeah <clears throat> which is very yeah real bright news yeah so that will i guess we'll start talking about that more and more in the next couple of weeks as we gear up towards the wrestling week January yeah and week. this 2021 will come to an end and the new year comes and yeah yeah oh december's always so quick huh it flies by christmas is coming up your birthday's coming up yeah which is the yeah. same day as the Noah Budokan show. yeah yeah and nobody's nobody remembered my birthday <laughs> <laughs> okay we won't forget this year okay yeah but when i was when i was a kid you know that i didn't think it was fair to have all the you know, birthday gift and Christmas gift and a new New Year otoshidama that the little money in, in your mm -hmm. pocket thing is all in one. Uh, <laughs> you know, other kids have birthday gift and Christmas gift. It's separated. <laughs> yeah, but I was always had all in one. They didn't double it or triple it or anything. So I didn't think it was very fair. Economic version. <laughs> it's okay. Let's uh, our special feature today is Dynamite Kid. Yes. Who passed away three years ago. Yep. 2018, December 5th. He yep, passed month. away on his 60th birthday. He was very unique and important and influential, in not just Japanese pro wrestling, but in wrestling around the world, but especially in Japanese pro wrestling with Tiger Mask. Yes, Tiger Mask. Actually, technically, he had big feud with junior heavyweight version of Tatsumi Fujinami. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, his first tour was, was International, actually. Now defunct International Company. Oh, yeah. uh, the um, IWE, IWA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, he was, was born. Company. He was born in 1958. In Lancashire, Wigan. Wigan is where Snake, original Snake Pit, Billy Lively Jim was at, you know. And Dynamite Kid's grandpa, Joe, and his father, Billy, was both boxers, you know. Yeah. Wrestler and boxer, amateur. But uh, they're both coal miner, you know. Kind of blue-collar, you know, that the village, huh? Mm -hmm. Blue-collar tough guys. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, when Dynamite Kid was a little kid, he learned boxing from his father. And also in this, you know, you are like a YMCA type of gym. He learned wrestling and gymnastics. That's what he learned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not then the traditional it, route. Right, right. And also was wrestling, you know. And uh, like a, you go, go, go to like a town gym or your... In a community center, they they offer wrestling class or, or the kids wrestling kind of thing, and he was always in it, wrestling and gymnastics. And friend of his father, uh, there was a wrestler Ted Bentley. Mm -hmm. He taught him professional wrestling when he was little. And there's a two theory that uh, that when Dynamite Kid debuted, if it was 1973 or 1975. You know, this is like a, it's hard to dig out the official record, right? Because in a way out in Wigan, in the professional wrestling show somewhere in, in, in your local gymnasium that there's no record for. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
So some people think he started 1973, and some record shows he started 1975. Either way, he wrestled when he was 15. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So he got started young. Real young, yeah. Not the traditional、uh, route to becoming a wrestler, I guess you could say. Yeah, but he was already, see, when he was like 16, he was already discovered by the big wrestler and also promoter, Big Daddy.、Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a giant baba of England, right?、Mm-hmm. That he was discovered by Big Daddy and he was brought into professional, you know, rank. And what,、uh, five feet, eight inches tops? He wasn't a big guy. Right. And then when he started, what, 165 pounds, probably? Around、mm-hmm. that, yeah. And in 1977 or 78, I believe it was 78, that one of the Hart brothers, Bruce, Bruce Hart, Brett and Orrin Hart's older brother, Stu Hart's older son, you know, there's like 12 children in the house, but every one of them, six, six boys and six girls, and six boys all wrestled professionally one time or another, and six girls from Hart family all married a wrestler, you know? So he was discovered by Bruce Hart when he toured England and came back to Calgary and told his father, I found somebody really, really special. His name is Dynamite Kid. We should bring him, bring him to Calgary. Then Dynamite Kid came to Calgary when he was like 19, 20. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. yeah. That Calgary、uh, connection brought him into IWE. Yeah. Then he was yeah, discovered by Japanese you know, audience and Japanese media and Japanese wrestling companies and promoters.、Yeah. But he really kind of stayed based out of Canada as opposed to England at the time. Is that true? Right, right. Because、uh, I asked him personally that、uh, what was the reason that there's no money that, you know, in England. I mean, make a living and、uh, make a decent living as a full time pro wrestler. And Calgary was his opportunity, you know. To go into Canada and eventually going to America. Yeah.、Hmm. Although he was told he's too small, you know, too small to make it. Right. <clears throat> But、which、eventually, is, yeah. Which, well, this is why he found a kind of new home or new、uh, podium in Japan to show what he could do. Yeah. Also, he also changed Calgary wrestling too. See, at the time, Uh, the, when, you, when you go to Calgary, the Stampede Wrestling, the Stu Hurts promotion, you had guys like Akira Toa Kamata, the,、uh, the Mongolian Stomper, Archie Goldie, the,、uh, King Curtis Yalkia. It's all heavy, you know, real heavy, heavyweight, old fashioned guys in, in there, you know. And all, all these Bret,、uh, the Bret Hart and his brothers happen to be more of a junior heavier type body, huh? Mm-hmm. And the entire company became more like Dynamite Kid style. You know, he changed the entire company style. I mean, he was already influential when he was 20. Is that interesting? So, in your opinion, what would you say is what made Dynamite Kid so、uh, different from the other wrestlers at the time? Because from what we can see on the video, We can't go、yeah. back in time, but what we can see on video is how much he used the top rope, how intense he was when he was in the ring. Oh, the headbutting. I mean, head small、butting. guys doing the headbutt and the strong elbow, you know, like what you see in Japanese wrestling today. Elbows, 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 right? He was doing it 40 years ago. Yeah. Kick. And at a、yeah. different pace. 
Oh, the speed. Oh God. Yeah. Very athletic. Right. Very athletic. And, uh, once you, you know, go, you know, that the style of the wrestling going to that and the other guys are doing it with him, that uh, the whole company is doing it, you know, mm-hmm. it became the style of Calgary, which was basically very similar to New Japan style at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had a big and, influence on guys like Bret Hart. Yeah. And Bruce Hart, Keith Hart, or the guys at the time that the, they had like young Jim Neidhart. Uh, ben Batherab, that uh, or young, like Owen Hart, still in high school, but they couldn't wait to jump in the ring, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also junior high, you know, high school, Chris Benoit in the front front seat, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, like, like in the ringside seat every week, Benoit was sitting there, you know. I and think Benzabar. he also had a, a big influence and inspiration to. Uh, both Jushin Liger and Hiroshi who both passed through Canada as well, Calgary. Yeah, yeah. Well, before that, there was a Cobra, the Joji Takano, the mm-hmm. Hiro Saito, the, uh, the, the Junji Hirata before he was Super Strong Machine. The, uh, all, all the, or Norio Joe. That's 70s. That's 70s. Mr. Hito, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Mr. Hito's house became like a dormitory for Jap- young Japanese wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and uh, it's sometimes it's really hard to you know for one territory to have that many Japanese wrestlers, right? Because it's no use, right? Right. So uh, all those guys like Shunji Takano, the Junji Hirata, the Joji Takano, the uh, Noria Honaga, the, they, they were like once from one became the, the Native American gimmick, one became from Cambodia, then one once from Vietnam, and uh, they just changed their identity, you know. It was interesting, you know, mm. era. But then a little bit later on, Jushin Thunder Lagen, Kens- young Kensuke Sasaki, and uh, Koki Kitahara, all those guys came in and stayed a length of time. Ricky Fuji, yeah. So think- Calgary, yeah, Calgary and Japan has always been kind of like a sister territory, you know, you know in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, what was interesting was that uh, when original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama had... England run right before Tiger Mask, like in 1980 and 81, as, as a Sami Lee, right? Mm-hmm. His opponent was young Dynamite Kid in England. So they already had matches before they had the Tiger Mask against Dynamite Kid in Japan. They had this basic match in England when nobody was noticing it. Right. They had a few well, in for England, each other they early. were popular. In England, they were popular. But uh, they had no idea, you know, it was going to be uh, like, uh, you know, match of, of the era. Yeah. Well, there were quite a, there were a couple. There were a couple matches because there were, there was, well, okay, actually, before we get to Sayama and Dynamite Kid, you, like you mentioned earlier, there was an early, a, a feud before that with he and Tatsumi Fujinami. Yeah. Uh, a very different Tatsumi Fujinami than I think people might uh, think yeah, about in their head. He was in- introduced as junior heavyweight. Antonio Inoki's junior heavyweight version. Like in mm-hmm. 1980, uh, 1978, he became WWF junior heavyweight champion at Madison Square Garden, beating Jose Estrada and came back and brought the New York championship belt to Japan. It was an exciting time. You know, he actually brought the belt back from America. And when you, when you have a championship belt from America, oh, you're going to return it, right? Mm. 
and it felt like it, you know, just like Giant Baba beat some NWA World Heavyweight Champion by the end of the tour, he's returning it, right? Right. But uh, this junior heavyweight version of WWE belt stayed in Japan and became Tatsumi Fujinami's you know, signature belt. And he beat every single you know, junior heavyweight competitor all of, um, from Japan, from America, Steve Karn, all these people. And uh, yeah, that was Fujinami's strong initial run as junior heavyweight champion. And they had Fujinami against Dynamite Kid in Calgary first. Mm-hmm. Then he was brought back to Japan. And uh, I think Fujinami's style was a lot more high-flying, a lot more high-impact style, a lot different than what... But not quite like Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask. Fujinami's no. junior heavy was like a, more like a victory rolls or sunset flips. and You know what I'm saying? With the fire of Inoki. Yeah, and lighter and younger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But real good looking guy that was, he was so popular as a junior heavyweight. Yeah. And after his matches with Fujinami, he had matches with like uh, Cobra, like you said, George Takano. But Sayama was when people started really talking and remembering. Yeah, the entire three year run of original Tiger Mask, he actually had only three big rivals. Dynamite Kid, Kuniaki Kobayashi, and Black Tiger. Black Tiger was a rollable Mark Rocco. Mm-hmm. And those are three big opponents. And I cannot count how many times there were there were Tiger Mask against Dynamite Kid. You know, the, the Osaka version of it, Hiroshima version of it, Sumo Powers version of it, and, and just and Korakuen version of it. And just, Madison it, Square Garden. Oh, that too. Yeah, yes. Right, right. But they always delivered what people would expect from those two. And just so far ahead of time, right? Very much so. And if yeah. you watch it now, it doesn't look dated. No, no, recording. not at all. And people can study that matches even to this day. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of wrestlers pattern themselves even still after his style in the ring. Yeah, yeah. Same size, right. same body type. Actually, you know that the flying headbutt off the top rope, the Dynamite Kid signature move, mm-hmm. it was taught by Katsuji, uh, Katsuji Adachi, Mr. Hito, of, of, of you know the Japanese wrestler who lived in Calgary, mm-hmm. who is no, no longer with us. But he was using that move before Dynamite Kid was there. But I thought that should be Dynamite Kid's move. And uh, after all, that the people think it's Dynamite Kid's original. You know, nothing is kind of original, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, you know, like a super high-speed snap suplex. Mm-hmm. It's like a regular vertical suplex, but if you do it that quick, it looks like a completely different move, huh? Yeah, nobody was doing uh, the, the wrestling that was so athletic at the time. It wasn't... Uh, everything is athletic now. We see some amazing stuff on a daily basis, but back, if you look at what was going on back in... Yeah, the, in 1979, 1980s, 1980, 1981. Yeah, it's like, wow. It's like, because main event guys were all tall and heavyweight and big, you know, heavy guys. And the Dynamite Kid just in completely different size, you know, shorter and solid. But the, the way he runs and the way he runs him back, you know, back to the, you know, this 
the, what, what you call it, rope works. Mm-hmm. He runs so fast, right? He was more like a action hero than a pro wrestler, a traditional pro wrestler. Kind of came off because he was based on the character too, and he did yeah. kind of come to life in a in a different sort of way. He was very excited, right. flashy, very flashy, and also it changed the perception. These hundred eighty pound guys can be main event, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Without thinking about their size all that much, you're thinking about what's going on in the ring. Yeah, yeah. So it was like he really overcame all the odds and helped young like generations of wrestlers came after him that they can make it. You know, until then, it's like these athletic, smaller guys who wanted to be wrestler, you know, professional wrestler, and then they'll be told, you know, right off the bat, ah, you're too small, right? Right. And they say, no, no, I'll make it. And then Dynamite Kid really proved them wrong. And uh, he opened the door to a lot of new guys. Much like what Liger did later on, much like Ultimo Dragon did later on, right? You know, speaking of Liger, I think if you watch any of his early matches, it's like a young Dynamite Kid. Oh my gosh, he's he's the Japanese Dynamite Kid. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, the, right. the body type, the style, the same snap suplex he talked about. Just yeah, and then the diving headbutts yeah, off the top rope. Yeah, he was he was and uh, topes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. So, and tope was like a spectacular move to end of the evening at one point in life. You know, once upon a time, but sure. it became everyday move. You know, that meant you have to do something more spectacular. And Satoru Sayama, the original Tiger Mask, always delivered new move. That's why I guess Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask, you know, the same match, but it lasted so long that the the, entire like a two year period they had what 20 30 matches, but they introduced something new every time. And none of them, so so never became old, yeah. None of them had a very definitive ending either. Some of them would be double count out, some of we, uh, or even if, even when, even then, and I learned something really that even when they did that, you know, like a clean, clean cut finish, that dynamite kid get pinned, the match will happen again. You know, it's not the end of the night. And also for dynamite kid losing to Tiger Mask, huh, big deal that the, he, he might win next time, kind of thing. And I don't think dynamite kid beat Sayama more than once. You know, <laughs> it's weird that you already had finished, right? It mm-hmm. sounds like the end of the end of the feud, but they booked the match again because the, the content is incredible that uh, that the outcome of the match almost didn't matter. So he, Dynamite Kid, did not really lose anything by losing the match. You know what I'm saying? Right. At the end of the night, he was just as strong. He just left the you know left the ring. That's it. Yeah. People were always talking about those two. What do they just see? What do they just see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And those were the you know very VHS era that uh, you know Japanese fans you know videotape those matches, and very next day put them in a you know envelope and send it to American fans and like you know, your old pen pal. It, these things today's wrestling fan has to realize. These things all happened before the internet or the streaming. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You actually have to send your physical VH tape, you know, VHS tape you know, to America. And those people that doubled, the, you know, that made a copy of those videos and, and gave it to your friends 
another copy was made and gave it to your friends and uh, at the end of those tapes he's like wow quality is really bad but i still have to watch it right it's the only choice <laughs> yeah it's very interesting but at the same time those american pen pals sent american tapes to japan no mm-hmm. yeah like a tape trading era cultural exchange it was the only way it was way before uh, the internet all the way to 90s though you know what i mean yeah, up until the early 2000s i was uh, i guess yeah, yeah, yeah you know the internet's fine in 1999 2000 everybody in internet but it wasn't moving picture yet huh you know mm, not really Buffer, short yeah. you yeah. know like a really clunky videotape a little bit you know but the yeah. internet was writing and the still photos not quite live stre- streaming it's just last five years or so right yeah yeah so it's all different era, you know, the, not just wrestling, but technology too, you know. Yeah. But Dynamite Kid legend remain, you know. It just technology has changed, you know. Maybe if there were uh, live streaming, you know, way back when that uh, maybe he was, he, he would have been more consumed. I don't know. But I think he we was, see it in so many wrestlers today that I think it's one way if, if as long as we know that a lot of what we see a lot of it came from a handful of people like dynamite kid yeah and also he was always not himself but was in the middle of this like uh wrestling in the politics you know the way things have changed that he was involved in directly in indirectly in 19 end of 1983 uh, the father uh, Stu Hart sold the territory to Vince McMahon and closed down the shop. Mm-hmm. Remember? And there was a deal that the four wrestlers, at least, that Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart, Dynamite Kid, and Davey Boy Smith, those four would be hired by WWE, WWF at the time. Right. Yeah, so Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy, young Bret Hart and young Jim Neidhart as, as Hart Foundation, they their you know journey to the world be, you know began you know that they became wwf superstar so all of a sudden this calgary you know calgary superstars british bulldogs they named they weren't even british bulldogs in in calgary wwe gave them name the british bulldogs dynamite kid and david was me they were wrestling at the madison square garden in, in 1984 you know it was not quite their choice but it opened up, you know, really, really opened the, the, the like opportunities, right? Because they were touring world then. It was very interesting. And also he was in the middle of this, this big political move in Japan too, that the old Japan pro wrestling giant Baba uh, at, uh, with the help of Mr. Hito of, of Calgary, that Dynamite Kid and David Boy Smith switched sides from New Japan to old Japan at the end of 1984. That was a big move. That was big, oh, a real uh, big move. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they never went back to New Japan, did they? Nope. Nope. Uh, yeah. No, it became pretty much full time. And uh, see, during 1984 and 1985, that the WWE, WWF F at the time, they wrestlers, you know, some of the wrestlers contract had the you know, one in the paragraph saying that the, your deal with Japan is separate from WWE contract, you know. Therefore, 
people like Adrian Adonis, that uh, Dick Murdoch, or or Dynamite Kid and David Boy Smith, for that matter, that they could still take Japan tour in between WWE schedule. Wasn't that interesting? And it was just up until around that time, too, 85, 86, the whole game. Yeah, and then they became completely exclusive with WWE and they stopped coming over. And Dynamite Kid wanted to stay in Japan, but David Bowie wanted to have, you know, WWE exclusive. And so they, you know, the team, team, that's how British Bulldogs kind of break up, basically. Yeah. Then we saw the different version of the Bulldogs with Johnny Smith, yeah? Yeah, a little bit later on. But by... Uh, the, in the middle of this, you know, second old Japan run, Dynamite Kid's body weren't the same as early '80s Dynamite Kids. Like the way he did things, that your your body will, you know, will start reacting, right? Right. Not and only also, how he wrestled, but what he was putting into his body as well. Yeah, yeah. See, we have no physical concrete evidence of that. So you, you must be talking about the steroid effect. But, uh, yeah, obviously that, uh, you know, Cal- Calgary version of Dynamite Kid and New Japan version of Dynamite Kid and the early WWE version, version of WWE, uh, Dynamite Kid, the, you, you see the photos. It's like a body has changed. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. Yeah. Probably 30 pounds, 40 pounds heavier. Yeah. And it was, but it was also a really different time too. The expectations were that you had to be huge to be in pro wrestling, both in yeah, Japan and right. in the States, everywhere. The yeah, standard was much different. up, oh, they became like a bodybuilder, you know, big guys, you know, and it must be really bad for your heart, huh? Mm. Yeah, and then also he uh, he busted his hips, he busted his, you know, her, you know, like already herniated discs, and he hurt his arm that uh, his she torn his biceps here and there and yeah the body was breaking down yeah but he could only do dynamite kid wrestling yeah mm-hmm. so uh basically there was a couple of years that uh, he didn't come back to japan that he was full-time with wwe and if you remember wrestlemania too the mm-hmm. uh, british bulldogs beat greg valentine and british beefcake to become wwe top, tag team champion Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, there was they had to doctor up the tape a couple of times that uh, see like they couldn't tape the title change. You know that they you know at the, if you remember Poughkeepsie TV taping, Mid Hudson Civic Center. Yeah, yeah. When they did the title switch, when the British Bulldog dropping the tag team title to whomever he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that was was that a uh, Rujo's? It was Rujo's, or it was uh, it wasn't Beefcake and um, Valentine? No, I don't think so. It it could have been Rujo's at the time. But anyhow, that the Dynamite Kid, the body was so beat that they they you know they sent him to to the ring just to tape the finish of the match. Right. Yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That beat. You know. He couldn't and, walk. Uh, they couldn't walk, yeah. And then also in this mid '80s WWE schedule, they were running 300 shows a year, huh? Mm-hmm. In two or three different places: Team A, Team B, Team Three. You know, Hulk Hogan, uh, A Team. You know, One Town. And second set of the, you know, that the crew was doing like a Roddy Piper and somebody on, on, you know, on top. 
And the third main event of C shows was like a Huxley Jim Duggan show or something like that. And like three shows taking place in three different towns. It was crazy era. But they are doing what? 20 days on, two days off. 25 days on, three days off. 20 days on, two days off. It's just, you are going to, you know, <laughs> some, somebody's, something's going to break, huh? So I'm looking it up right now. You know, I think that match that they had to drop the title was, I think it was the Hart Foundation. Oh, okay. Okay. That's right. That's right. 87, January 87. Right. At the time, many people didn't think Bret Hart was going to be that big of a champion, you know, three years later, you know? Wow. Three, only three years later. That's what it was. Yeah, then. I think so. Yeah. 1991 is when he started. Yeah, when he of... beat Ric Flair for the first time and going single. That know? was 92. I think from my memory, I remember really noticing him after he beat Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. Oh, that was a good match. Oh, my gosh. Uh, New York City. Yeah, yeah. And they showed and, his uh, family use, in the crowd. Useless trivia was that uh, Bret Hart's official debut match in Calgary was against Dynamite Kid. Ah, that's yeah. right. And they well, had but that's, few, that's an official. Yeah, it's an official match, official debut. But uh, he, Bret Hart already wrestled professional match when he was in high school unofficial you know anybody can i mean he refereed matches when he was in high school he cut you know he was at the you know that the that the door you know like checking people's ticket he was standing in 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 a concession stand selling t-shirts he was building rings you know and he moved out of the house he wanted to become somebody something besides wrestler and he moved out of the house and went to college a couple years but decided to be a wrestler when he was 20 so <coughs> I don't know what would be Bret Hart's official debut match. He was doing it entire life, right? But uh, his version of official debut match, he count as official debut match was against Dynamite Kid. I think they also had the <laughs> first ladder match, isn't that right? That's that, I, I was gonna say, yeah. Now it's like a ladder match is like a WWE creation. A lot of people think, but they were doing ladder match in Calgary back in 1979. They were the ones, yeah. They were the ones that kind of came up with it, and Bret Hart brought it to uh, the states. Those matches yeah, with Shawn yeah. Michaels, yeah, yeah. And then uh, not just climbing up the ladder, but the, when you use ladder, you gotta be creative, you know. There's a lot of different ways to use it, you know. And then, and then, uh, sh you know, Shawn, people like Shawn Michaels took it and even did more creative things with Razor Ramon and people like that. Yeah, so. These creative things just doesn't happen overnight. There's always that you, you know things that you can go back and who did it first, you know, and uh, yeah, some some of these people are not credited, don't you think? And a lot of it, I would say, I mean, some of it is credited, but not all of it's credited to Dynamite Kid. Yeah, and then also I'll credit Dynamite Kid for you know, for smaller wrestler wearing long tights. Was he maybe the first to really champion that that look? I believe so because if smaller guys wearing uh, short trunks and uh, wrestling boots, that will make you look even smaller. Right. So Dynamite Kid was always wearing long tights, and it looked good. You know. Yeah, he wrestled and, in a way that was easy to take him seriously, but also it was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. That is why Chris Benoit never had short trunks. Entire career, he had Dynamite Kid type tights. That's so. 
yeah he, he always had long tights that's for sure yeah yeah that's dynamite kid style yeah and also somebody from calgary has a little stars on, on, on long tights that's right that's what benoit <laughs> had as well yeah like it's like a, it's like a whole tribe of it you know mm. and if not you might be wearing leather vest hmm. that's yeah both that leather vest too yeah 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 isn't that interesting yeah so we forgot a... to mention one really important match in his WWF career. There was a match that he he was on the first pay per view wrestling classic. Oh, okay. Uh, was that a Randy Savage? Yeah, he, it was where he uh, jumped off the top rope with a missile drop kick and won the match in like ten seconds. Mm. Against nobody. I think it was Randy Savage, wasn't it? Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. That was the first. It was before WrestleMania on pay per view, but it was considered the first. WWF pay-per-view right like yeah. almost like a test you know test pattern yeah and it had just uh, the uh the wrestling classic tournament style uh right one night tournament yeah oh okay at the time Randy Savage being much bigger star right no I, I think they had a match later in the night but the first match was him and Nikolai Volkov ah so okay. Dynamo, yeah and then Randy Savage uh he beat Ivan Putski next ah okay uh, Dynamite Kid. You remember that better to, than I do. No, yeah. I'm looking at now. I'm looking at the uh, results. I'm looking at and later on, uh, Dynamite Kid had a match with Adrian Adonis, and Randy Savage uh, beat Dynamite Kid in the semifinals. But all these matches were really short. I don't. I, I know. I know. I noticed that like a five minute matches. Yeah, nothing was over ten minutes. So. Yeah, but it was like uh, it was good thing that uh, they really showcase start showcasing dynamite in national base in a base mm -hmm. you know? and this was before the tag team before mm -hmm, he was mm -hmm, marketed mm -hmm. in the tag team so so uh after wwe though he, he did have a, that all he japan did, he went, yeah went back to all japan and davy boy stayed with either wwe or he went to wcw at the time they went back to wwe and wwf so the british bulldogs no longer and also british bulldogs Davy Boy Smith's biggest match was SummerSlam against at the Wembley Stadium. So he was like already single competitor. Mm. Around the same time, Dynamite Kid was back in Japan with Johnny Smith as like a, another version of the, the British Bulldogs. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Smith was very good, you know, partner to have because 80% of the match, Johnny Smith would be wrestling. Because Dynamite you know? Kid uh, was wasn't in the same shape. Up. Yeah. Yeah, right. But he'll come in and, you know, first thing he does is uh, give this super speed snap suplex and headbutt, headbutt, elbow, elbow. And at, in the middle of the match, you tag in and does his signature flying headbutt, you know. So that's what people wanted to see. Yeah. So he pretty much lasted until 1991. In December of 1991. Wow, 30 years ago now, huh? <laughs> he retired. Crazy. When he was only 33 years old. 33 years old, though. You know what I mean? He did a I lot mean, to, in a short Today's time. wrestler, that's when your prime time begins, huh? Or even after for some of mm -hmm, them, yeah. Mm -hmm. See, 19, he was born in 1958. 1958, okay? Who was born in 1958? The same age group. People like Lex Luger, Sting, Kevin Nash. Yeah, Scott Hall. They were same age group, but they didn't become superstar until late 90s. Isn't that interesting? 
they came up differently. They didn't have to do as much of an intense athletic style as oh, they were big family. people, but the same age group. Yeah, it is interesting that they are from the same class, but they didn't make it at the same times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were born 1980 and 1958. Yeah, those era, those era, you know, that run 57, 58, 59, they had a lot of, you know, a lot of good wrestlers. 57, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, Bret Hart. Road Warrior, Hawk. Yeah, they were all same age. So, a lot of them, yeah, a lot of them were gone. Like, after, as you said, after 1991-ish, around then, that's when we first saw that Dynamite Kid stepped away. But he, he did make one last return to Japan. Uh, with Michinoku, you mean? Mm -hmm, 96, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, one match. But the, his, you should see his calf and, you know, the, the thighs and see... When you retire, what you you may not lose as much upper body, but the, if you see legs, it's like wow, it's like you know his thigh, hamstrings, and you know calves. It's like wow, you haven't worked out. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah, yeah. But uh, I would say his real retire, you know, retirement match was December of nine, 1991, the final night of real tag team tournament, All Japan. Uh, at the Budokan. So he was able to retire at Budokan. Hmm. The match was Dynamite Kid, Johnny Smith against Johnny Ace and Sunny Beach. Sunny, Sunny Beach. Beach. Yeah, the surfer gimmick guy. Yeah. Wasn't quite the big superstar, but he was on, on, on tag team tournament. That was a tag team tournament. Very interesting one. You know, Giant Baba and Under the Giant, you know, made the tag team and you, you have your Jumbo, and you have your the, the Stan Hansen, the Terry Gordy, Steve Williams, the Johnny S, Danny Spivey, all those regular Old Japan 90s guys were in it. And every single person from the dressing room came to congratulate him, you know, like how much he was respected, you know. No baby face, no heel in it, that the, everybody shook hands with Dynamite Kid, you know. And Giant Baba, too, and, and when Dynamite came to Giant Baba and said, you know, he wanted to retire, you know, at, at the end of this, in the end of this tour. And Baba said, wrestlers usually retire without saying it, right? Mm -hmm. That was Baba's philosophy. And uh, Dynamite Kid insisted that, uh, no, I'm, uh, he, he wanted to announce that the, this is going to be his final night, final match. Yeah. And so people will know. You know, and then he he said, "I'll never come back." Hmm. At the time, his disc was already busted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But he carried himself and had a decent match. And uh, at the end, he even did this flying headbutt off the top rope and beat Sunny Beach. And then then uh, entire Japanese locker room and American locker room came out and, and, and shook his hand. It was like a very very good retirement. You know, yeah. Then, after you know, in nineties in, into two thousand, he was like nowhere to be found. I think ninety one was also the year he left Calgary. Mm -hmm. Basically, he he got you know he got divorced and he went back to England. And after he went back to England, he didn't really see any former wrestlers or never appeared in his fan fest or you know autograph or you know you have your retired wrestlers things right all over the world 
that uh, fan fest, you know, like conventions a, and so yeah, on. conventions and WrestleCon kind of thing, you know, WrestleCon kind of thing. That he never came out for, for mm. those, and nobody had his phone number for a long time, you know, and uh, and Japanese media didn't find him until like a 2016. Mm -hmm. Oh God! And then NHK, if you know what NHK is, you know that that the national, you know television channel in japan not quite the wrestling carrying network you know it's a more serious like england's bbc you know mm, exactly yeah. yeah nhk did had a documentary on dynamite kids career and satoru sayama sent him video letter you know you're my best opponent you're my best friend and let's meet again mm. and uh yeah this wheelchair bound you know, Dynamite Kid really smiled for the first time on camera. See, all these years, Dynamite Kid never once smiled. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He was always on, on character. I mean, that serious. Yeah, it was a, a sad segment. Yeah, but it was good to discover him. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, he was in. He was three. He was three years before his death. You know, his passing. So he would have been what fifty-seven. It's hard to imagine 57 year old dynamite kid, huh? You know? Yeah. 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 And he looked older than that, you know? And he had, uh, you know, diabetic and he had to amputate his toes. And uh, he was in, in this one of those, what do you call it, nursing home type place. Yeah. And he, apparently he remarried another woman and she was taking care of him too. And, uh, yeah, he, um, but he was willing to make appearance for the final time, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but th th those are the very end of Dynamite Kid, but we should talk about his legacy and the influence he has to rest, you know, wrestling world to this day. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think we see that mostly in the ring, especially. Um, and just like yesterday, New Japan Sumo Palace show, there was a final night of Super Junior, you know, top the Super Junior tournament. That there's a bunch of guys with Dynamite Kid size doing it. See, maybe see Hiromu Takahashi wasn't even born then, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Mm, show <laughs> neither. Yeah, it was a uh, the, the I guess it was specifically the the this style of junior heavyweight pro wrestling that we see more in new japan than all japan and noah or anything like that but i think this right right style right. high flying hard hitting like a noah a little bit yeah noah yes a little bit yeah a congo unit they're all mm. junior heavyweight guys but yes junior heavyweight division and heavyweight di divisions there are two divisions in new japan yeah but so, um i think we can always uh, kind of trace yeah. back we can trace it back to dynamite kid we can dynamite kid and tiger original mask. tiger mask of course if there were weren't dynamite kid and tiger mask there wouldn't be liger or or you know, ultimate dragon great sasuke yeah or all, osprey all or um oh for that matter yes yeah. right or even the newer guys uh, ibushi ibushi or in america people like you know like roderick strong or like, Brian Danielson. Oh yeah, yeah, young Gosh, Brian yeah. Danielson. Yes. Or CM Punk. Yeah. CM Punk. Yeah, I think yeah. Well, most of so, uh, most of the younger generation. That's 
they're heavily yeah the generation who grew up watching dynamite kid and tiger mask mm -hmm. yeah so the influence is definitely there to this day it's deep for sure yeah so if you started watching wrestling in the last three to five years you know cm punk and brian danielson they were the original that's fine they're so talented so talented but if you want to study it a little bit more and go back to like 1980 in early 1980s tapes and start watching dynamite kid and Dan, you know david boy smith or tiger mask uh, kuniaki kobayashi yeah and young liger and you see a lot of that original black you know? tiger yeah the original content oh that's where it started you know what i'm saying mm. yeah so it's really really and then if you study those tapes and come back to the today's wrestling content that i think you get more out of it yeah and it's cool because you can easily look these things up on things like new japan world or just youtube or daily motion most of it yeah there. yeah 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 it's there yeah especially tiger mask dynamite kid tiger mask kuniaki kobayashi tiger mask black tiger yeah yeah if you yeah. haven't seen those uh, you should sometime go out of your way in the future yeah. to and actually, Dynamite Kid against Kunyaki Kobayashi is pretty good, too. Kunyaki Kobayashi is one of the more underrated. Underrated, the yeah. Era. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's like, yeah, he's like a dormitory guy at the New Japan Dojo now. Yeah, he's like the chef. <laughs> Interesting, huh? Mm. Yeah. But he's still, uh, I, I saw him wrestle a couple uh, years ago because he was involved in one of those rumbles that, at Tokyo Dome. They had to, uh, he was one Right, Legends Rumble. Yeah, right. Yeah. He came out with a t-shirt on and... He yeah, was... but he still works out though. Yeah, he was fine. Yeah, and then he can still bust apple with his, you know, his hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he and he works out guys. at the dojo after everybody leaves. You know, like during the afternoon and nobody's there, he comes in all by himself and still works out. Fifty some years old. I mean, sixty some years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the legacy is there, but the dynamite kid that uh, I want to make sure that that the people know about him and kind of you know i don't want to use the word study but uh you know that the more thing about dynamite should be known how's that yeah if you understand dynamite kid you understand just like or you understand chris benoit you understand brian danielson you understand a lot a lot and i'm not even scratching the surface it's just the way he wrestles is a lot is very similar to how modern wrestling looks like yeah yeah High intensity yeah. it's more athletic it's not as showy there's less posing there's uh you know it's not as you're not showing the crowd what you're doing you're just going in and doing it as if it's real you know fight yeah and uh then uh, while you're watching dynamite kids match you know you naturally suspend your disbelief mm -hmm. and you don't think of him <laughs> as a smaller guy because no. he comes off as a big guy and you go ah oh, wow wow you know then you become a kid <laughs> yeah he never he never breaks from that um the character that he's in that really ruthless mm -hmm. wrestler really, yeah uh, serious all the time yeah yeah so uh dynamite kid that i uh, really wanted to have the entire episode on him because this is the december and december 5th that uh, that's the time to remember him yeah. yeah and i think uh as time goes on i think his uh his legacy will be more and more not just impact but apparent we'll be able to see it even more and more it's in the dna of a lot of wrestling these days so yeah i believe so yeah all right so let's wrap it up for today where can <laughs> we find you 
Fumi on uh, social media. Uh, on Twitter, Fumihikodayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O. Fumihikodayo on Twitter or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. Actually, I have Instagram, Instagram too. Fumi Saito 2001. Is, that's me. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not really an Insta, Instagram guy. You know, I'm very comfortable with, with Facebook. <laughs> Older generation now, huh? <laughs> on twitter i'm at justin m nipper k-n-i-p-p-e-r if you want to get a hold of us you can reach us those ways you can reach us through uh fight games patreon you can free, uh, reach us through the feed too so apple what apple podcast and spotify now yeah yeah you can listen to this now you can listen to it on any uh, way you usually get your podcast i don't know how you're getting it now but you can listen to it on apple you can listen to it on regular spotify you can listen to it on downcast and stitcher and uh, oh, okay everything no, no nothing about it <laughs> yeah well, any way that you consume a podcast we now can uh be heard through them so sounds good yeah so on that note for me take it away so long from Tokyo. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.